0: Our beer of the week this week is Legion Oktoberfest. It is an oak-aged Oktoberfest lager from our friends at Legion Brewing here in Charlotte, and it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, no complaints so far. Been a quality pint as we kick off this episode of Perfect Takes. I'm your host, Stephen, joined by my co-host and friend, Jacob Laquire. We have a little bit of stuff to get into. Um, Panthers were on their bye week, so no game to go over, or should I say loss, to go over and review for this team. Is there anything that really stood out to you uh, about what we did from uh, either a free agency standpoint or just a uh, front office standpoint that really caught your eye?
0: You said, is there anything that stood out? There wasn't anything at all. The bye week was just that. its just a week of rest. There were no free agent signings, to my knowledge, no trades that we could have been hoping for. Uh, just nothing. And I know Fitterer, they did say they were in the market for a wide receiver one. There's a couple of reports like from Jeremy Fowler and Adam Schefter on that. And then they said there are people on the trading block like Dante Jackson. I know Terrace Marshall requested a trade and Jeremy Chin was said to be on it before his injury uh, was disclosed, but there's there just nothing during the bye week. And now that we're in game week eight, hopefully we get some more movement there. We already have some movement um, today, but... Not a ton of uh, not a ton of stuff.
1: Yeah, no, there were there were no big moves. Uh, Brian Burns is still a Carolina Panther. Uh, we haven't looked to move uh, either one of our big pieces in terms of cornerstone guys, or look to make a move for a guy like a Devonte Adams. I don't know who that wide receiver one is that Scott Fitterer was kind of referring to a few weeks back. Um, but yeah, there was there was no addition, uh, no subtraction. Uh, but we did have three guys that went on kind of the temporary, at least four week IR, and that was Jeremy Chin, YGM, and then Giovanni Ricky. Is it Ricky? It's a uh, Richie. Richie, there we go. And he's a tight end. I think he's like third or fourth string. So they're all on IR. We get Austin Corbett back. And that's that's a huge help on the interior offensive line that has been down Brady Christensen and obviously Corbett for really the whole year, which that does make an impact in your run game and the pocket that you're able to create for your quarterback. So it's good to see us kind of get guys back in those roles. And that may help going against the Texans here in week eight.
0: Yeah, Oh, we absolutely. I think Corbett was our best O-lineman last year and getting him back is huge, especially with guys like Cade Mays and Calvin Throckmorton struggling on the interior. We also signed two people. We got Brett Toth, who's an O-lineman from the Eagles practice squad and uh, outside linebacker edge rusher from the Vikings practice squad. And I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's I think it's Luigi Villain, which is in, like an all-NFL name team right now. Luigi Villain. So super stoked to have him. I'm pretty sure he made a play uh, yesterday in the game against the 49ers. I was seeing that on my timeline. So we brought in people to get to 53 after the IR movement. Uh, Jeremy Chin wasn't surprising considering they talked about the hamstring injury in the the Dolphins game but I, I didn't know that uh YGM had anything wrong and he was a guy that I know you had liked uh, a lot earlier in this year and he was a guy that was hopefully going to step into another role as a, a good run fitter and a even improving as a pass rusher but it's rough to see him go on IR hopefully we can get Marquise Haynes back soon to kind of supplement that but right now the edge rotation is really weak
1: yeah, not having a lot of rotation, and it just seems to be a common theme for this entire roster, and I think it was very noticeable in the preseason. This was something I kind of wanted to touch on, but whenever our backups went in, it just felt like we we got our ass handed it to us, and like... That would have been avoidable had we drafted better over the past couple of years under Federer's regime. Uh, had we done better in getting free agents, uh, obviously getting guys that are more productive. Because we go out, we sign a DJ Chark who has injury, like an injury history, and sure enough, he misses a couple games. Uh, we draft guys that we can't. I think from a standpoint where you said Jeremy Chin, he's on IR for a hamstring issue. JC Horn also went on a hamstring issue. So it's like maybe our training and medical staff aren't doing a good job in making sure these guys are loose and prepared for games week in and week out. So it's just a, a lot of issues with depth and it's come around to bite us because we're the least healthy team in the NFC South and a very weak division. And we haven't been able to take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, going into, or following week six rather, we had scored the most points in our division, but we're still last with no wins. And during the bye week, er, and this week too, getting this injury news definitely didn't help. But we did have one positive or what we perceived to be a positive moving forward. And that was last Monday when Frank Reich announced that he was handing over the play calling duties to Thomas Brown. I know we talked a little bit about that last week with Dylan, but uh, I'm curious to see how the McVay tendencies possibly influence how Brown calls a game because... We already run a ton of eleven personnel, which is like the McVeigh staple. So I'm curious to see what uh Thomas Brown's gonna bring that Frank Reich hasn't been doing so far.
1: It's I don't I don't know if the playbook is going to change necessarily. And what I mean by that is like you said, the eleven personnel, something that is a McVeigh staple, has been with this team since week one, since the preseason. We've been running a lot of it, even though I don't think our personnel necessarily fits with that kind of style of play at this. Point in time, And then the other thing is, is a lot of the guys that we're targeting or the one guy that we're targeting is Adam Thielen. And granted, he's one of the only guys getting separation and whatnot, but he's getting schemed across the middle. That's where Bryce kind of thrives in terms of throwing the ball and McVeigh in terms of opening up the field in his playbook. If Thomas Brown is kind of bringing some ideas and, and wrinkles to this offense, it's been able to scheme more of those kind of play concepts across the middle. And I don't know if that's gonna change as much. What I wanna see is play action, because if he can bring some play action usage that we saw McVay kinda use a lot early on when he first joined the Rams, or at least a little bit of motion prior to the snap to kind of at least give Bryce an idea of what the defense is giving him, or kind of give him an advantageous look um, by either motioning somebody aside from the strong side, or kind of like a trip sponge look i it, it could depend but that that's the stuff i want to see moving forward
0: i agree i just uh i want him to help bryce out it seems like when frank reich was calling the plays he kind of just threw him out there to the wolves and uh didn't get a lot of help like in terms of protection play action scheme in general so hopefully it just improves and helps bryce progress in this uh rookie season but um, if we don't have any more Panther stuff, we can kind of get to the around the NFL section. I see that we have two really notable games we want to talk about. The first being the AFC West showdown that happened, the Chargers versus the Chiefs. That first half looked to be historical. I mean, they were on fire. I think there was like 500-something total yards. It was, I believe, what was it, 17-17 at the end of the first half. They were just firing back and forth, and it didn't really carry into the second half. But man, that first half was crazy.
1: I think the Mahomes like over prop Mahomes hit in the first half alone. And he was on pace for like a record 600 yards. And like you said, they were just going back and forth. I mean, these were, these were true like counter punches and jabs by uh, elite lightweights. And as it got later into the game, all of a sudden we saw Spagnola's defense kind of come to life with the Chiefs and Brandon Staley. He had a little bit of fight in the second half with kind of, I wouldn't say suffocating, but stopping and and getting Reed and Mahomes off the field, which was great. But the issue is, is that Staley, during his tenure so far in the five games he's faced Reed and Mahomes, he's one in four, and the only win he has was the very first time they played. So the last four four matchups they've had have all gone in favor of the Chiefs, and it's it's the same old with the Chargers. You you aren't getting any different. Uh, any your results aren't changing, so at this point you kind of have to shake some things up, and I think that's gonna happen this offseason.
0: Yeah, they were like like we were talking about, they were going back and forth in that first half, and then you're talking about Spagnola stepping up, stepping it up. In the second half, the last five drives for the Chargers were interception, three and out, three and out, three and out, interception. That Chargers defense just, or excuse me, that Chiefs defense just locked in and shut down. What's been a pretty High-powered and efficient Chargers offense so far. I know uh, your model likes um, what's that, Kellen Moore, and uh, they, they looked at they were going to keep it up, but they just kind of fell flat there. And, yeah, Mahomes, you were saying Staley's 1-4 and four against Rita Mahomes. Mahomes is currently 8-2 and two against the Chargers as a whole. And I'm sure if you look at uh, all the other division rivals there i think they're 16 and 0 in the last 16 meetings versus the broncos and i'm not sure what it is with the raiders but it's probably something similar to these two numbers so you're just seeing the dominance that andy Reid and mahomes have in their division which is just it always lends to them leading their or winning their division and getting high playoff seeds.
1: it's it's very reminiscent of brady belichick and what new england did in the afc east for two decades and at this point it's it's a half decade I see it continuing at least for the next five or so years and what stinks is that the Chargers had the ability to add some juice on offense because like you said Kellen Moore came out of the gate firing they were able to kind of scheme some things up that benefited uh, Justin Herbert and that offense and moving the ball and and once you're kind of able to lock in on what they're doing, they don't have anybody that can take the top off. I mean, they drafted Quentin Johnston in the first round, and he's had 15 targets all year. Austin Eckler, who has played, like, I think he was on IR or at least injured for, like, three or four weeks, he has played significantly less in terms of a game standpoint, and he has 13 targets on the year. I mean, when when you look at the four – Four leading Chargers receivers right now, it's Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, Gerald Everett, and Austin Eckler. And you don't draft a guy in the first round for him to just kind of sit around and do nothing, especially when you see guys like Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison, guys taken literally the consecutive picks after he was taken – do so much like they're so much more productive and it's just an issue from a front office standpoint, you, you have a coaching issue with Brandon Staley and then you're failing to identify talent, whether it's free agency or the draft with Tom Tolusco and it's 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 just head scratching because you have such a talented quarterback and you can't put the pieces
0: around him that he needs. You talk about Zay Flowers. I know two weeks ago he had his first touchdown. He was pretty good uh, in London and good this week. Jordan Addison went absolutely nuclear last night. Uh, My wide receiver won in the draft, by the way. And then uh, JSN for the Seahawks. He had his first score, I believe, this past week, too. He looks really good. He was one pick before. Um, And he was able to thrive a little bit with uh, him and Jake Bobo, too, by the way. Shout out Jake Bobo with his uh, crazy touchdown catch. With uh, DK Metcalf out, they were able to thrive there, too. And with Mike Williams out for the year, they're just not giving Quentin Johnston the opportunity he needs. Now, I I don't think he's a complete bust or anything, but like you're saying, they're not scheming him open. They're not giving him the looks that they need from a top 24 pick. I I believe he was 21 in the draft. This is a guy you need to invest in, especially with a similar archetype, like body type, skill-wise, uh, to Mike Williams. You need him to play that role, and he's just not doing it so far.
1: But but if, if they're asking him to be an X receiver, that's not what he is. When we saw him in college, he he was excellent in the slot, and that's that's not how they're utilizing him. And then when he was coming out of the draft, you and me talked about it. I thought he had bus ran all over him. The dude couldn't catch the ball away from his body. Like, you, you can't catch in the NFL – with your body. Like that that is that's not how you win down in and down out. So he can't win at the point of contest. Uh and he can't win on the outside. And so if the offense isn't utilizing him for what his skill set is, that was a waste of a pick. That was a waste of a pick and waste of years on Justin Herbert because Keenan Allen's deal is gonna have to come off the books. That looks horrendous next year. Khalil Mack, who should they they should have already parted ways with uh in the offseason, he's still on the books. So it's all this like dead cap issue and you can't go out and free agency and get somebody. So I, I I know you're high on the wide receiver class this year, but it's one of those things that like, you can't always just bank on a rookie coming in and fixing things.
0: Right. I, uh, I actually do think Quentin Johnston can play the X. I think the issue is they don't, they're not giving him the opportunity to gain yak. That was like his big attribute coming out of college. Um, And obviously he needs to learn how to catch with his hands. But, uh, yeah, I just don't think they're using him correctly. Hopefully that kind of resolves itself. Otherwise, they're going to have to take another receiver in this upcoming loaded class again, where we have, like, probably, I don't know, like, six to ten guys that could go around one this year. It's going to be a great receiver class. Those Panther fans are fortunate uh, that this is going to be a good receiver class. But no one fitter is going to take, like, a linebacker with the 33rd pick.
1: Yeah, who's who's projected to go in like the fifth round. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to yeah. be great. Now on to the next game. Uh, One of what what should have been the Chargers and Chiefs final ended up being the Browns and Colts. Uh, they went down to the wire It was actually 24-17 at half, just like the uh, Chiefs Chargers game. And it ended up, I think, being 39-38 in favor of the Browns. And I think what caught my eye from this whole thing is the Browns defense allows 38 points. And yet from a fantasy standpoint, the Cleveland Browns defense put up 20 points, which that's just a remarkable feat in and of itself.
0: Yeah. I mean, their defense was just lights out. We're going to talk more about miles Garrett later. So I don't want to beleaguer what he's doing, but he had an excellent game forcing turnovers, pretty much forcing touchdowns. But uh, yeah, the high scoring was insane. Steichen has this team playing well Maybe even a little bit better with Gardner Minshew at the helm. They've just been lights out. I know at the end there was a bit of uh, controversial, questionable uh, refereeing. Uh, that happened in a couple games this week. But uh, overall, just the scoring was just super, super high. And this was without Deshaun Watson for most of the game. He uh, he started the game, didn't look very good. I mean, he hasn't looked good all year, Hasn't didn't look good at all last year. He gets hurt. P.J. Walker comes in. Looks a little bit better, like they're still not looking great, but yeah, this is a 39 to 38 barn burner from end to end, which I believe when we were watching Red Zone, it was going on. It was like the last early game because of all the the stops and the reviews and stuff like that. It was going well into the four o'clock window, and it was just super fun to watch.
1: Absolutely. And I, I really want to touch on kind of what you were alluding to with like the Browns quarterback situation is Deshaun Watson, he throws a pick early on and then the play he ends up injuring, I don't I don't know if it was the shoulder he's had issues with. He he was checked for a concussion because of how well, his he, head
0: hit the turf. Well, he was cleared for a concussion. Yeah. He was cleared to go back in, but they stuck with PJ Walker.
1: Yeah, and and rightfully so because on that play he had an interception that was dropped. Like he was mm-hmm. he was not necessarily an upgrade and whether it's been him or PJ Walker, Browns quarterbacks have combined for a negative 41.5 expected points at. Like that is insane when you think about the amount of points that those guys have taken off the board and kind of had to put a lot more pressure on that Browns defense and they've stepped up to the plate so far. I mean, it's without a doubt, like the Browns defense is probably one of the best, if not the best defense in the league right now.
0: And what's insane is that the Browns defense is doing this with a negative turnover margin as a whole. Now, granted, the offense is giving the ball away a lot, but I believe coming into this game, the turnover margin was minus eight for the Browns. Like the Browns defense isn't getting a ton of takeaways but they're still incredibly effective in forcing three and outs.
1: Yeah. And what what I will – what I want to note about this game is this was played in Indianapolis, and I was thinking back because this is something we had talked about in the podcast a few weeks ago, that if there was a team to win strictly because of their defense and because of all the offensive woes, that would put up something similar to the 2015 Broncos season, the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Seahawks, they did have some interesting offensive pieces, whether it was Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Doug Baldwin. They had pieces on the offensive side. But the defense stole the show. And shockingly enough, both teams Played in Indianapolis the year they won the Super Bowl and they lost both of those games. And they were fairly big barn burners. Seattle was 4 0 going in the week five. They played in Indianapolis and they lost 34 28 against Andrew Luck and the Colts. Well, Denver in 2015 they also play in indianapolis in week nine now a different week but they play in week nine and they lose 27 to 24 to andrew luck and the colts now andrew luck's not the start of this year it was gardner Minshew. he had some Minshew magic Minshew mania whatever you want to call it and they almost beat the browns like you said some poor calls in the red zone that if they aren't called this game's kind of over and The Browns lose this one. So I guess my thing is, is since they didn't lose to the Colts in Indianapolis, are they actually on the path to the Super Bowl? I don't I don't know if they'll play in Las Vegas now because of this.
0: I mean, that defense is incredibly dominant, like you're saying, but they need some offense to get to the Super Bowl. Like Seattle, Russ, like he wasn't uh, the Russ of like 2016, 2017, but he was competent. They had beast mode and Marshawn Lynch, Doug Baldwin and Jermaine curse. And I think they had Percy Harvin and golden Tate at that point as well. And then Denver granted Peyton Manning did get hurt. That might've been an Osweiler game that you're talking about, but they well, still had seven and zero
1: going into that game, which was wild. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, they still had some weapons on offense. Um, and Ronnie Hillman played out of his mind that year for them. But um, I, I don't know if the Browns are going to make it to Los You said it's in Las Vegas this year, the super bowl. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they'll make it there, but their defense certainly can give them a chance to make it there. Um, And we were talking about the questionable call at the end of the game. Two questionable calls, I believe. The Pittsburgh and Rams game kind of ended in some questionable calls as well. The fourth and one Kenny Pickett uh, QB sneak. To me and to a lot of people on Twitter, he was pretty clearly short. And they gave him a very favorable spot, which allowed Pittsburgh to kneel it out and end the game. Just a lot of questionable calls at the end of the games this past week.
1: Yeah, and it makes you wonder Mike McDaniel had a whole thread after Sunday night football, like a whole Twitter thread. Like we're we're not we're not talking like he sent an email to the NFL. Like he clipped videos on his Twitter account and he went boom, this call was missed, this call was missed, this call was missed. It was like, I I think about like 10 different calls, and it was just on Sunday night football. So the refs definitely need to step up and do their job better.
0: Um, Yeah, that was another one too, the uh, the face mask on Cedric Wilson Mm -hmm. by James Bradbury. That would have put them goal to go, I believe. Uh, And that's another, yeah, just a lot of bad refereeing this past week. I think it's gotten worse as the season's gone on. Like I know fans complain about refs all the time, but this season feels particularly bad
1: yeah it does and what's also been down on the decline in terms of play and performance is the offense Over the past five years, I think this is kind of the worst we've seen offensive production. And it kind of stems from last year when defenses started doing more too high looks and taking away those deep shots and forcing offenses to kind of play underneath. And they're getting better at kind of feeling team tendencies and adjusting to that. And somebody that's not helping their offense who we're, we're kind of moving into the coach talk now, but somebody who's on the hot seat from a play caller standpoint and really should be on notice who's holding his team back is Pete Carmichael. He's using play action and motion at some of the lowest rates in the NFL. He is determined to use Taysom Hill in various different ways when the guy is well past his prime of a couple years ago when he was effective in like a wildcat role or you'd have a pop pass play situation. And you you can't run an offense through gimmicks and gadgets and then expect Derek Carr to drop back and throw these bombs downfield when the defense is expecting that stuff. So it's it's very interesting to see. Um, I don't think he's really... I've been an adequate replacement of Sean Payton since he retired and then came back into the league. So if Dennis Allen is going to stay in New Orleans, he's got to find somebody on that side of the ball to call plays because Carmichael is not it.
0: I think a little bit of blame goes on Derek Carr as well, just because Andy Dalton played surprisingly well for them last year. But I have your play caller uh, ranking pulled up right now. And I believe this is the first time somebody's ever hit above a decimal point. You have Pete Carmichael as negative 1.00. Um, that's insane. The next lowest guy is Arthur Smith at uh, minus 0.6. So yeah, most
1: guys hover in that point. Like the yeah, top most guys, guys hover around
0: zero. Like the, the, oh, the yeah. like the average for your is zero. You have it uh, normalized in that. I don't know if you normalize it or anything, but the average, it looks to be around zero negative one is insane like, just comparing it, no other play caller on offense or defense is close to positive one. Like, the next highest would be Dan Quinn, I believe, at .71. So, Pete Carmichael is, an, like, an incredible detriment to the Saints team. They have a good defense. The NFC South stinks, like I was saying. We, before the bye week, because obviously the other three teams have played now, before the bye week, the 0-6 Panthers had scored the most points in the division. It's just well, if like, you look at that play
1: caller ranking, the highest ranked play caller in the NFC South and I know the Panther fans don't like wouldn't like to hear it, but it's Frank Reich. Like Dave Canales on the is, offensive is, side, right? Yeah. Dave Canales yeah. is next. And then I think it's Arthur Smith and then Pete Carmichael and Arthur Smith is not good. I think he's like 30th on the ranking. He's down towards the bottom. His, his usage of Drake, London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson. And I mean, Bijan Robinson was said to have had an illness this past week, but it's stuff like that where it's like, you're not utilizing the guys that you spent top 10 picks on. And if you're not going to use them, then you should have use those picks on defense, a quarterback, like, A more premium type position. If you're just going to kind of waste these
0: players, and I think the biggest shame of all is that the Saints defensive coordinator, defensive play caller, which I believe is Dennis Allen, he's pretty high up there. I'm looking at your chart; he's the fourth fourth. highest defensive coordinator or defensive play caller in your chart, and he's being wasted by the, the offensive play caller. It's like it's similar to Mike McDaniel and Kellen Moore, just genius offensive play callers being held back by their defensive play callers.
1: Absolutely, and what's interesting is you bring up Dennis Allen, and I thought he might take a step of regression because he loses his D-line coach that goes to Atlanta to become their defensive coordinator. But him and Ryan Nielsen, they've been top 10 10- play callers. And it's, it's been impressive to see their kind of style and scheme of how they want to run the off, uh, run the defense. We've been talking offense so much, but how they run the defense is so fundamentally like strong and well, that it's, it's been very productive this year. And it's been carrying both of those teams. When I think a lot of people from the outside expected a lot more offensive production from
0: those units. Absolutely. And as a Panthers fan, here's to them keeping Pete Carmichael for the next couple years. Um, the other guy we have on the hot seat this week is another Panthers-related guy. It's Ron Rivera. That uh, that Washington and New York Giants game was just rough to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean they've invested so much into that defense. They they went over. They drafted Emmanuel Forbes over Christian Gonzalez, which. Most, most analysts leading up to the draft had the top two cornerbacks, no matter how you kind of, it was like chocolate or vanilla ice cream, which one you prefer, but it was Christian Gonzalez or Devin Witherspoon. Devin Witherspoon is obviously taken at pick five, but when Christian Gonzalez is there in your lap and you don't take him, it's, it was just a head scratcher. Forbes got bullied by several of the top tier uh, wide receivers kind of in the opening stretch. And Sam Howell, who's your starting quarterback? And I, I thought it was very interesting because Colin Dumphy does a good job at and he, I guess, the the pod in recent uh, memory. He he has done a good job breaking down and showing different clips of where this is a very nuanced west coast andy reed offense and it takes time and rhythm and that's not something you're going to have with a quarterback who converts a high pressure the sack ratio and a offensive line that is probably below average so when you have some of those things going on on offense on the defensive side when you have the back end that's not able to hold up and the defensive line isn't able to take over and dominate games like you see in philadelphia or san francisco You you have the product that you have on the field with Washington and Ron Rivera is got to be the guy to go like you you either got to give your fifth round quarterback uh, of two years, the second year in the NFL, more easy buttons in the offense to kind of work with and evade kind of those sacks and negative plays. Or you, you, you got to turn it loose with Jacoby Brissett if you want to run a more complicated offense. And they're at that crossroads right now. They can make a push for a wild card spot, which obviously would probably keep Ron Rivera around another year. But it's one of those things that he, he does not have good infrastructure and that team's not well built to where I think he stays.
0: I agree. Uh, talking Sam Howell, he's just a sack magnet, right? Like they have like... I would say decent receiving options in McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, who's disappointed this year, and Curtis Samuel. And then on the defensive end, they've invested a ton, like you said. Like the entire D line, first round picks. Then they bring in Jamin Davis a couple years ago, linebacker. And then Emmanuel Forbes, you're talking this year. His, uh, his key trait was always his ball skills. You know, he has the yep. most pick sixes in college history, ton of interceptions, but he was 165 pounds coming out mm-hmm. of the draft. And these NFL receivers are going to exploit that because he can't cover somebody like he can't cover a DK Metcalf or he can't an cover A.J. AJ Brown. Brown or exactly. a, let's keep the old Miss theme. If Jonathan Mingo like were able like matched up against him and bodied him, he couldn't cover him. So when you're looking at a guy like Christian Gonzalez, that's falling. Now, granted, a lot of teams passed on him. So there could be something we don't know, like regarding medicals or something like that. But when you pass on a guy like that and take Emmanuel Forbes, that's the bed you're going to lay in. They also passed on uh, Deontay Banks and Joey Porter Jr. Yep. for that matter, and DJ Turner, all guys that I had ranked ahead of Forbes. But um, yeah, it's just not uh, it's not clicking for the Washington Commanders this year. Like I said back in the A or not AFC, the NFC East pod. If this year's a win for them, regardless because of the new ownership change, but. I I don't see a path forward for Ron Rivera this year if they're going to continue to play like this and not compete against teams like the Giants, which is, which are one of the, which the Giants are one of the worst teams in the league this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah. No, it's both, both the play callers rank in the 20s. This is a team that is like, it, they're that fringe like wild card team or just like, middle abyss, like you're, you're going to pick and probably like the, the 10 to 15 range based on kind of where you fall in the NFL standings. And it, that's just not a place you want to be in. That's kind of like the NFL purgatory. You either want to be like really bad to where you're going to get one of the better players in this upcoming draft and allow yourself to rebuild, or you want to be really good and be one of the contenders. And they're just not in one of those places right now. And that's just, it makes it really hard for that ownership group to kind of decide where they're going to go after this year.
0: Well, you were talking about the ownership group. Do you see uh, the tweets that Magic Johnson's putting out after games? It's like, "Oh, my team doesn't want to compete, or my team doesn't have the heart to compete," stuff like that. I know Jason OTC referenced it on his pod as well. That's kind of insane. Like for yeah, and granted, I know uh, I believe it's Josh Harris is the majority owner, and I know Magic is. is a minor a uh, minority governor or owner in the stake, but tweets like that are kind of crazy to put out after losses but that's neither here nor there. Hope like a team like Washington, we look at the NFC South. I would I would think that they'd be the favorite in the NFC South.
1: So 100%. it's definitely
0: it's definitely unfortunate that they're in a division with the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys, but they're not even beating the New York Giants either. And to me that's kind of a uh, an like, granted the Giants made the playoffs last year, they're very bad this year. Let's, let's be clear. They've taken a, a giant step back. They're better under Tyrod Taylor than uh, Daniel Jones this year so far, but it's uh, a not be able to compete in a game against them is kind of indicative of a, a, maybe a needed coach change moving forward.
1: Well, you bring up the giants and they were one of the many one in five teams that impressed. I believe all the one in five teams in the NFL one outside of the Arizona Cardinals who put up a fight against the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle But a 1-5 in team that won and that was not supposed to win. Like, my perfect take last week got blown out the door within a matter of, like, I think halfway through the first quarter, and that was the New England Patriots. They scored a touchdown. They scored scored multiple touchdowns, and the Buffalo Bills did not drop a 40-piece. And that was shocking to see a team riddled with injury – Obviously has like multitude of holes all over that roster right now to come out and pull up that kind of performance. It shows that anybody can win on any given Sunday, which is cool. It's, it's why we're a fan in the NFL. We like that competitiveness that it, it doesn't really matter kind of leading up what's been going on. You, you can have pretty much a winless team beat one of the better teams in the NFL and, and that's cool to see. And Bill Belichick was, was the spearhead of that. He had a great defensive plan coming into it. Uh, held, I believe, the bills to like around 10 points going into the fourth quarter before kind of Josh Allen started turning things up. But at that point, their offense, Bill O'Brien, I think they had the, one of the highest success rates like per play all year which just goes to show you how much the bills are missing ed oliver matt milano i think dame jackson just in the middle of that defense because that's that's where they were gashing them whether it was their tight ends ramondre stevenson that was where they got a lot of their juice uh in this past game
0: well uh real quick before we talk about the pats you talked about your take last week my take also failed last week and it involved a one and five team coming into the week i thought jordan love after the bye week would be able to Get right versus a bad Broncos defense and the Broncos turned up they held love to basically nothing similarly to the Patriots and bills for like three quarters and love did have some stuff at the end of the game but the Broncos were able to pull through. But uh, regarding the the coach talks the coach talk segment Bill Belichick and that defense were able to shut down the Buffalo bills and like you're saying on the offensive side, they're missing Milano Trey white. The other big one, which we talked about last week and uh, the week prior, was DaQuan Jones, their uh, huge, mm-hmm. like big run-stuffing defensive tackle. And I believe both of their scores, or they had uh, they had three touchdowns. Yeah, I believe yeah. It was all all three touchdowns were rushing touchdowns. Right? It, oh no, no, no. One was no, passed, no. Mac Jones had the passing. They had the Gasecki
1: one, one right yeah, there at yeah, the but, end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was a Zeke one and I believe a Steven or it might have been a Mac Jones sneak. I don't remember the second one, but yeah, right in the middle of that uh, Bill's defensive line is where they were getting gashed and we see them add guys like Leonard Floyd in the offseason. They bring in Von Miller a couple of years ago. I think the the key focus with the trade deadline approaching is that they're going to have to add that run stuffing defensive tackle because over the last. Three to four weeks, the Bills haven't looked really great. Their defense has been kind of holding them back. Josh Allen, the first couple like quarters of these games has looked kind of kind of asleep, and then he turns it on in the second half, and he's like supernova Josh Allen again. But the Bills aren't the Super Bowl contender, maybe Super Bowl lead favorite the past couple years that we think they've been, and I think a large a large part of it is the defense. Well.
1: What we brought up is several of their contributing starters are out. Like we joked mm-hmm. around, I think when Tage came on the pod, is that hey, are are the Bills a contender to go out and try to trade for a Patrick Sertan before the deadline? And that would have made sense to replace Trey White, but like when you see how they got gashed this past Sunday, it's like Maybe they need to like go out and and, and trade for a quality three tech. Maybe they need to get a linebacker like the Ravens did when they traded for Roquan Smith last year. And it's like one of those things that like what's really more important so that they can actually stop offenses because if the Patriots are going to do that to you, I I don't want to know what the, the Chiefs will do to that defense or like a team like the Ravens will do to that defense. It's just those are matchups that you start worrying about, especially if you're trying to compete in the AFC. And if, I'm Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, this was already a year you were kind of all in with. You probably need to just double over at this point and and, and throw all the chips in the middle of the table because it's not looking pretty right now.
0: Absolutely. We talked about in the AFC East pod how the all in teams in this division, the Bills, the Jets, the Dolphins, to an extent from a cap standpoint. If I'm the Bills, I'm calling like the Buccaneers. Maybe maybe after the game this week, uh, they play on Thursday. Like, hey, what does Via Vea cost? Like, somebody like that, because like I don't know if Sertan's gonna make the difference, like you're saying. They they need that run stuffer along the D line, and they, they are all in this year. And they've been they've kind of been all in the past couple years. I know the last two seasons, I believe, going into the season, they were either the favorite or maybe like the second favorite to win the Super Bowl. But with this defense, like you're saying, they run into Mahomes, who always carves them up. They'll run into the Ravens, who are seemingly finding their stride with Todd Munkin and getting that Ravens offense in order. Their receivers aren't dropping things. They'll run into the Bengals, who always start 0 and 2, 1 and 1, 1 and 3, stuff like that. And then Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase just click, and their offense goes nuclear for the rest of the year. They run into, or they could run into the Dolphins again, and maybe it goes differently. Maybe there aren't mistakes on the offensive end, and Tyreek and Jalen Waddell and Mostert and I mean, HN and all was, of them. That Bill's well, defense was healthy was when healthy. they played the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah they, maybe they run into them again and they won't be healthy and all the speed blitzing options and two was able to hit them in stride. It's like they they need to patch up that defensive side of the ball. I know this is a Bill Belichick section and we're we're getting away from what Belichick was able to do to them due to their offense, but uh, they really do need to patch that up.
1: Well, it's, it's a reminder of what Belichick does best, and it's, he is not so much dependent on this is how we play football and we're going to do it no matter what. Like the the Ron Rivera mentality, like the keep pounding, like Mantra, the Carolina mm-hmm. Panthers are just like, we're going to play defense and run the ball. Like Bill Belichick is like, okay, what does that team allow us to do? And then they attack, and that they expose that weakness, and that's exactly what they did. They they sometimes they they don't always come out with the W. Belichick kind of teams, but they do a good job of exposing what the other team can and can't do, and that is exactly what they did on Sunday. And he got us. 300th career win which that's something we haven't mentioned up to this point but that's that's kind of like one of those marks that it's very hard to come to like Andy Reid is probably the next guy to hit that milestone and I think the a couple guys that have only hit it before like Don Shula is one of them and it's 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 rare company to be in.
0: Yeah, Belichick, I believe, was the third ever coach to hit 300. Uh, Absolutely incredible career so far. And the reason that we have him in the who brought the heat section and not the hot seat where we've had him the past couple weeks is the news came out that he signed a multi-year extension to continue to be their head coach. And I believe as well to continue uh, his roles in the front office. So congrats to Belichick. He he beat the perfect takes hot seat allegations, I, I guess. But uh, it seems like he's going to be around for at least the next couple of years. And he performed super well this game. And maybe that's a mark of what's to come with him able to scheme the defenses up. And maybe the offense is able to get something going.
1: Well, we talked about how so many teams are all in. Uh, Chargers are all in from a cap standpoint. Browns are all in. When you look around the AFC East, really, this is an all-year, like, All in year for the Bills, the Dolphins, the Jets, but the team that has a lot of ability to pivot next offseason is the New England Patriots. And if for some reason, maybe they do end up with a top five pick, they're able to get their quarterback of the future and build some more pieces that defense from a nucleus standpoint with guys like Christian Barmore, Christian Gonzalez. Uh, Jawan Bentley, some of the safeties they have from like Adrian Phillips and Jabril Peppers. They they have some quality players and they're getting some quality production out of those guys to where they, I think Robert Kraft knew that this was a time where, yes, this is going to be a lean year, but we have the ability to pivot in the future where some of the teams in our division don't.
0: Absolutely true. The only thing I'll say is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Tage Seth was on, uh, let somebody else pick all the offensive draft picks and mm-hmm. offensive free agents. Let, Bill can do all the defensive stuff, but just let, let the offense be somebody else. And uh, talking about offense and defense kind of coalescing, the other coaches that brought the heat this week, both are on the same team and they both call plays for the Baltimore Ravens.
1: I, I thought – and I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I thought the Lions-Ravens game, because it wasn't like a, a cold uh, game, it wasn't like dictated by winds. I was like, you know what? Jared Goff on a 1 p.m. middle of the day, he, he should be able to kind of play how he plays in a dome. Now, the Ravens came out and they made a statement. They played I, pretty much all 60 minutes. They, they fired on all cylinders And it was on both sides. Like Todd Monken, we've seen the ability of him scheming guys open, but these wide receivers were actually catching the ball this game, which kind of boosts and elevates what they're able to do from that standpoint. And then you look on the defensive side of the ball, they suffocated – one of the best offenses right now in the league. And they had Amon Ra out there. They had Jamison Williams. They had, uh, I'm gonna say Jamar, but it's Jameer Gibbs out there. And so when you have so many of those special playmakers and for them to be able to hold them the six points was just absolutely incredible. And it's it's one of those things that you take your hats off and you tip it to them. But this is something that John Harbaugh in that front office has been doing for a long time. They know how to pivot. They know how to kind of build things towards the future. And right now, if they can stay healthy down the stretch, like outside of the Chiefs, I don't think there are a lot of teams right now that can beat the Ravens.
0: We talked about a couple weeks ago and last week, if the Ravens could get on pace with Todd Munkin, if he can figure it out, that they'd be dangerous going into this week. The, the can you guess the number one team in terms of play caller rankings going into this week?
1: It was it was the Lions going into. It was this past the Detroit week. Lions.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, who, your, was your, your but who was at three? But yeah, no, no, who was no. at three? No, no, no. The Ravens <laughs> were at three, but the Detroit Lions were at one, and the Ravens made a complete mockery of them. They shut them down on offense basically the entire game. I know Jameer Gibbs scored in the fourth. Shout out Jameer Gibbs finally getting a touchdown. Um, but they shut him down and then on the offensive side of the ball they were hitting on all cylinders i mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know how many of their first half drives ended in scores but I know it was most of them because they were just tearing it up in the run game and the pass game uh Lamar was hitting everybody in the pass game hitting guys like Nelson Aguilar for a touchdown Patrick Ricard Mark Andrews got a touch or I think he got stopped and then got a touchdown Gus Edwards on a little uh, little dump pass took it like 70 mm-hmm. yards 70 80 yards everyone was getting zay flowers had a day uh odell had a day he was catching stuff across the middle rashad bateman even had a couple of targets like everybody was getting involved i, I mean i think even uh, isaiah likely was on the field for a couple of plays it was everybody and so todd munkin had a masterclass there and the other one mike mcdonald he shut down what was a potent uh lions offense and they had amon Monroe st brown back so it's not like this was a, a lions offense which was missing everybody granted david montgomery didn't play but they had a ton of weapons, and he was able to shut them down. Just a master class on both sides of the ball
1: i know one of the biggest things that we had coming into this this season with the ravens was that defensive line and i i don't have really many questions about this like the the way they're they're getting the most out of like a jadavian Clowney while still operating with some of these young guys across that d line this this looks like a ravens defensive line from the 2000s it's just very aggressive it, it knows how to play ball and again mike mcdonald he was the linebackers coach for the ravens for most of the 2010s he's familiar with john harbaugh he's familiar with the ravens organization he's familiar with kind of their mantra and for him to be able to do this at a play caller standpoint he's going to have a lot of interviews this next offseason for head coaching gigs because it's been phenomenal he's he's garnered a lot of respect from offensive minds across the
0: nfl absolutely uh per your model he's only second to dan quinn which is an incredible honor because Dan Quinn's up there as a defensive play caller just masterclass all around for the Ravens coaching staff and because of this game because of the way they perform they're currently number one in your play caller rankings by a pretty wide margin. Uh, yeah. They're number one by the margin that uh, number two Dallas is to looks like the seventh team so uh really good performance for them hopefully they're able to keep it up and we're talking about best performances we alluded to this earlier, but Miles Garrett, man, he was lights out this week.
1: It, it was every every time you watched him, he was he was swarming the quarterback. He was forcing mistakes. He was forcing turnovers. Like you said, he was he was a big reason for their one touchdown. I believe he had like a lot of sacks, or he he would force a pressure that would cause a mistake. And it was like they were setting up like field goals and whatnot for the offense. And believe it or not, it wasn't like the offense was moving the ball back and forth. They kept putting their offense in positions to score, and it was just like a gimme, like at least kick the field goal here. And and sure enough, the Browns, their defense, um, he had nine tackles total, two sacks, two quarterback hits, uh, tackle for loss, and then two forced fumbles. And I think Minshew had a pair of interceptions as well. So the Browns' defense showed out, and and they showed why they're one of the contenders in the AFC right now.
0: You talk about the Bra- or Miles Garrett given the chance for the Browns' offense to kick a field goal. Well, there was a point where the Colts offense had a chance to kick a field goal, and lo and behold, Miles Garrett pulls a Cam Chancellor, mm-hmm. jumps over and blocks the field goal. What can what can't this guy do? Like the only, the only thing he can't do is play offense. He, I mean, the I would be curious to see the EPA he's creating from his opportunities. It might be more than the uh, the Browns quarterbacks this year so far. He's oh, been lights is. out. Um, i know in our predictions episode you picked him to be defensive player of the year and in my book he's that guy by a mile so far this season
1: now a guy that you had and because i understand this this guy is looking every bit of the defensive player of the year uh that that i thought he would be coming into this year a guy that you had as the most valuable player also showed out we talked about the play calling from this team how it's on another level but the guy that's operating this at it's such an incredible level because the thing is, is he's been dealing with drops up until this point, but Lamar Jackson, what he did, what, both in structure and out of structure. And I I'm thinking a lot more of the out of structure plays the first touchdown, the Nelson Aguilar, it's not there. He rolls out Nelson Aguilar, it's like a scramble drill, keeps running across the formation and boom, Lamar Jackson hits him. And then you, you have the play with Ricard, And obviously that almost gets blown up by Detroit lions players. Lamar makes a great play. Ricard's able to kind of sneak into kind of the middle of the field. Lamar hits him. Ricard takes it. Like It was a big, I think almost like 40, 50-yard play. Mm-hmm. And it, it's stuff like that where it was just – Lamar was able to create out of structure. And it's so hard to defend against it. It's, what makes Patrick Mahomes great so many times is because he'll scramble out, and then that's when the big play happens. He, he did it uh, this past week uh, against the Chargers. I believe well, it was MBS coming across. Uh, on, like, a crossing route and hit him for a touchdown. And it's stuff like that. It's just that that's what makes elite quarterbacks great. And we, we have a lot more to talk about with Lamar. But what were some of the key takeaways that you took away from this game? A guy that you think should be the MVP?
0: Coming into the season, when they added the additions of Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, Nelson Aguilar, stuff like that, and the addition of Todd Monk, and I thought his scheme and these new weapons are going to be one, the best that Lamar's ever seen. And two, carry him to the heights that he was in that what was it twenty eighteen? Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. He was twenty eighteen, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this game was the snapshot of snapshot of what I thought the season would be. Three hundred fifty-seven yards, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. And the play to Aguilor that you were talking about, do you know how long it took him to throw the ball on that play? Almost ten
1: seconds. It was like nine Almost 8. it was
0: nine point eight seconds. And it wasn't like he wasn't facing any pressure. He faced pressure on that play, but he was able to evade it, navigate, and find Aguilar in the back end of the end zone. This is what Lamar Jackson does. He's by far the most dynamic quarterback with his legs, his ability to escape pressure, run down the field, that kind of stuff. But his ability to dissect and extend plays, a la Patrick Mahomes, is also what makes him valuable. And the way he was able to do that in this game, if he can do that going forward, in my mind, I'll have no doubts that he's the guy that can be up there hoisting his second most valuable player trophy. It's just this game is exactly what I wanted to see from, I guess, a premier defense, a defense that's been very good all year, a defense that shut down Mahomes, uh, granted without Kelsey, but uh, a defense that's been good all year and Lamar was able to just dice them and cook them and that led to the Ravens win that uh the Ravens win this past week and hopefully they're able to build off of this and he can have a lot more performances like this going forward en route to his MVP award this year.
1: So I think what needs to be highlighted so much about players uh, the the way they evade pressure whether it's a Lamar Jackson whether it's a Patrick Mahomes and both of these guys just sneak peek or uh, they're going to be on our MVP watch here upcoming but what makes them so special is that okay so is Zach Wilson coming out of BYU he could make some of the special throws that kind of reminded you of an Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes but what was different about him and the other guys is that so many quarterbacks backpedal when they're faced with pressure they mm-hmm. move up in the pocket and then all of, they're, they're swarmed from there what mahomes and lamar do so well and look at some of the big plays that lamar kind of breaks in this game against the lions it's horizontal movement you you aren't necessarily changing kind of where, where people talk about like the three five seven stop you step drop you aren't changing kind of that point. You're just changing where you are on the field. And at that point, it's just lining up your shoulders, following through with the football, stuff like that. And and those guys are great with throwing the ball on the run anyway. So that horizontal direction is so crucial. And they bring that element to the game that kind of is able to blow it out. Like When Lamar's been healthy, he has been one of the biggest pluses for this offense the big thing is can he stay healthy and if todd monken is just having him firing on all his cylinders behind a clean pocket like he is going to tear it up this year and i believe he will be in route to probably that second mvp trophy
0: now we're talking about future mvps a guy coming out of the draft who's one of his big attributes was the horizontal movement was bryce young uh, that We haven't seen that yet so far, but the way he was able to move is similar to those two QBs. Now, granted, uh, they have receivers that get open, so hopefully we can uh, do something to fix that soon. But it'd be nice to see uh, Bryce be able to operate like that, like he was able to at Alabama. Um, but one of the people that can get open that's on our best performances list is A.J. Brown, wide receiver, formerly of the Titans. I know uh, the yep. Eagles just robbed the Titans of another superstar and Kevin Byard uh, earlier. But A.J. Brown, 10 receptions, 137 yards, and a touchdown. He's our receiver on our best performances list. Seems like there's a receiver every week. But he was lights out. I mean, he was getting double, triple covered, uh, catching the ball between two defenders. He's, I believe he's had five straight games of 125 or more yards, which is absolutely insane. And uh, he's playing lights out the past couple weeks.
1: He – and I would say Dallas Goddard over the past couple weeks have really been kind of the focal points – it was like the start of the season, it was like Devontae Smith. You, you'd see some of those bursts of A.J. Brown. But as of recently, like Jalen Hurts, his connection with him, his ability to throw that deep ball on the left and right side of the field, A.J. Brown's ability to create uh, in terms of yak, like if he gets like kind of some of those lower crossing routes, he's he's really, really good. And the, the stat line backs it up. Like this is a guy that really deserved the paycheck. The Titans should have paid him. And instead he's balling out for the Eagles And they look to be, especially with the way the 49ers have looked over the past couple of weeks, one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the best team. So it's one of those things that there's still the team to kind of be reckoned with. And I think that's not going to change as long as you have kind of those offensive weapons that Jalen Hurts is able to kind of feed the ball to.
0: Yeah, I saw a Philly fan tweet after the game that AJ Brown, he's a top three receiver before the catch and he's Derrick Henry after the catch. And I don't don't know if he's Derrick Henry, but... That kind of sums up how i feel about him he gets open and then he's just a bully once he gets the ball just a great all-around receiver he's definitely up there i think you could call him top five and there'd be no objections to that um yeah he's had a great year and hopefully he continues to play that well as the eagles look to win their division again and make a deep playoff run still haven't played the cowboys yet those will be interesting
1: A.J. Browns, it's according to ESPN, I think they they work with 538 to kind of build this wide receiver metric, but it kind of incorporates how well they get open, how well they catch the ball, and then the yak afterwards. And he's ranked as the highest rated receiver right now in the NFL. And rightfully so. This is a guy that's dominated, like you said, he's had five straight games of 125 yards or more that's insane from a wide receiver production standpoint like that's that's some of the numbers that cooper cup was putting up a couple of years ago and route to a triple crown and i don't think there were nearly as many offensive weapons to kind of spread the ball to so they just be able to keep spamming him and spamming him in the way of like these are deep shots on the outside these aren't like scheme plays where it's crossers or out routes or stuff where it's very timing based and the the one where it was like he called game i mean the safety's coming across he slows up and he makes what is probably a Jalen Hurts underthrow look like a beautiful throw and catch. So it's one of those things he just adds another element to this offense, which is crazy. We're going to kind of like skim through the mvp watch we've talked about some of these guys at length already uh number one we have patrick mahomes i completely destroyed the chargers defense he had 453 total yards 424 came through the air 29 on the ground he had four touchdowns and then one interception and as our dear friend alexander spear would like to say that interception was an arm punt it was it was i think about like 50 60 yards downfield on a third and 12 so it's one of those things from an epa standpoint that's really not going to go against them um but from a a box score standpoint i guess you could say that was the one knock he had
0: hey arm punch show up on the stat sheet that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) and the guy the guy we currently have at number two is the guy that uh we've talked about at length the guy that i have favored to win lamar jackson he had 357 passing yards he also had four total touchdowns one came on the ground and he led his team to a pretty dominant win over one of the best defenses in the entire league, one of the best teams in the entire league, the best uh, from a play caller standpoint coming into the week. And uh, if he can continue this, he'll be right up there with Mahomes for the, the top two or three guys to win MVP this year. Absolutely. it's At this point, it's who's the most
1: adequate quarterback since offenses have been down across the board. And right now, those two guys are probably some of the best uh, from an elite standpoint. Now, we have had guys on this list before, so there is a guy at number three that's been on on some of them. I think what's interesting is that there was a lot of buzz around the 49ers a couple of weeks ago. We thought Christian McCaffrey was kind of the, the cog and focal point of that offense with Debo being out, with Trent Williams being banged up, and then obviously Christian McCaffrey's banged up. Brock Purdy has not looked like the MVP that a lot of, I think, people were envisioning him to be Uh, through four or five weeks of the season. So that's been very interesting to see. Tua had another, I I wouldn't say poor performance, but again, when he's gone up against really good teams uh, with really good defensive lines, whether it be the Bills or the Eagles, uh, the team has looked human. And that's, that's been really interesting to see that he hasn't kind of been able to elevate or push past that. And if he's going to kind of get back in this conversation, that's something he has to do. So one of the guys that we've had on this list that does make it here is Josh Allen. And I understand that there's a lot to nag on with his play through the first three quarters, but he's turned it up in the fourth quarter and back-to-back weeks against the, well, not back-to-back weeks because the Jags were before the Giants, but he he did do well in the fourth quarter against the Giants. Yeah, the Jags, the Giants, and then this past week against the Patriots he leads the nfl in total expected points added it's just his defense isn't really giving him a shot and then he, it's such slow starts that you can't like lean on kind of a run game or just chew clock mentality it's you have to score points and you got to score them now is is kind of what the offensive approach is come the
0: third and fourth quarter uh I agree with all three guys. You also mentioned McCaffrey. I'm keeping him up there because he broke the touchdown and consecutive game streak that OJ Simpson and one other person had. So he he's he, he now leads the he has the NFL record and touchdowns and consecutive games, and he's still the engine of that uh, 49ers offense. It's just we saw when Purdy bad throws that are dropped interceptions turn into actual interceptions. We saw what happened this past Monday night, and the 49ers fell to the Vikings without Justin Jefferson. Um, Jordan Addison had a career night. I kind of wanted to mention him in best performances, but we skimmed by it. Uh, He had like seven receptions over 100 yards, two touchdowns. But um, yeah, I'm still keeping McCaffrey in that MVP, fringe MVP conversation, because I believe they do top five.
1: Yeah. Now with that, we have a couple more things to touch on before the end of the episode. One of them is the matchup with the Houston Texans at home this coming Sunday. It is going to be the battle of the first three picks in the NFL draft, if you want to be technical, but more specifically, the first two quarterbacks taken with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. And I understand that you prefer Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud, but currently Stroud has looked like the better rookie. Do you think that holds come Sunday, or do you think that'll
0: change? I think Stroud's had a much better opportunity than Bryce Young so far. Uh, we, we've talked about it every single episode. He's had receivers get open. He's had Bobby Slowick scheme up better protections for him with the injuries in his O-line. And uh, I, I don't know about this Sunday because hopefully we can get guys like Xavier Woods, Von Bell, JC Horn. Basically like all of our starting secondary players. Hopefully we can get them back. But uh, if we continue to see the injuries, then I would assume the Texans uh, should have an easier time. Uh, I'm looking for the showdown of the number one and number three overall picks, uh, some of the best players in the draft, Bryce Young and Will Anderson. But uh, no, uh, I, I do think Stroud's been easily like the best rookie QB so far. He's put up the numbers. He hasn't. He throw. He didn't throw an interception until his, uh, the last week where. I don't recall who picked him off, but it was it, he's been lights out so far. He's taken care of the ball. He's hit open receivers, and he's just played the quarterback position super well. Hopefully, with Thomas Brown calling the plays, we can see some of the better protections. We can see some receivers getting open and uh, have a better situation for Bryce Young, because I will say so far, I think it's pretty clear that C.J. Stroud's been in a better position to play than Bryce Young.
1: Well, that was the thing we we saw during the preseason. The Texans have a lot of O line injuries. They go out, they trade for a couple guys, they sign a couple other guys, and like we talked about, six, seven, eight man protections to make sure Stroud has a clean pocket. And why? Because Stroud doesn't do well under pressure duress. He is golf two point uh, The expected points added kind of reflects that this year in his rookie year. And that's one thing Bobby Sloak's done is give him a clean pocket. And you think that would have been something that we approached with Bryce Young, especially with how small he was and with the, I said this earlier when we were talking about the Panthers, but the preseason kind of alluded to that we had depth issues at a lot of different positions, the offensive line being one of them. And the interior offensive line has not been what it was last year. Austin Corbett's been out. We had Brady Christensen go out. Brady Bozeman's been so-so. And so when you have backups and a a young left tackle that is still learning the position – It it just created a lot of issues, and we didn't shore that up from a, a coaching standpoint of throwing extra guys in there. And then you pair that with the fact that you brought up a good point, Von Bell, Xavier Woods. Um, and then J.C. Horn, they've been out with injury, and then Jeremy Chin just went on IR. And it's at, at what point are we going to have our guys back there to start making plays? Because had we had a J.C. Horn back there, had we had Von Bell back there in more recent weeks, maybe there are a couple of plays that kind of go for us in the opposite direction, and we're able to pull out a game or two. Now, they're probably not the past two weeks when we we allowed the offenses to drop forty point burgers on us, but it's one of those things that it definitely makes you wonder especially with how we haven't been healthy up to this point
0: and with with uh dante jackson being healthy that's a negative for us that's basically like starting a backup corner so uh hopefully we do get some of those secondary pieces back this week and i would love to see us get a win on musa muhammad night he's getting added to, or not night it's going to be at 1 p.m but he's getting added to the panthers hall of honor uh Deserves it, uh, second best receiver in franchise history, one of the 10 best players, probably a top five most influential player. Um, super excited for him, and hopefully we get the win there, but uh, yeah, I just hope we perform well. And then looking forward, let's get kind of get into our future Panthers section. The big game of the week is, as always, it's Penn State, Ohio State. They always come in both top 10 Oh, Penn State's, uh, they're different this year. They have a top five defense. Uh, they've crushed everybody so far. And then they lose to Ohio State as expected. I think the two stars of this game were both on the Ohio State D-line. We have JT maloa I believe that's how you pronounce it. Their star edge rusher last year. He really came into his own against Penn State. He had a defensive touchdown, a couple sacks, another force – or he had an interception for a touchdown and a forced fumble in that game, if I recall correctly. This game, he absolutely wrecked the game. He played very well against Olu Fashanu from Penn State, who's still my offensive lineman, one in the draft. But Tumalua really wrecked the game, won the fourth quarter by a wide margin. And then the defensive tackle, Michael Hall, Jr., for Ohio State, was disruptive all game. I think he's probably the best prospect on Ohio State, aside from Marvin Harrison Jr., and that's high praise because Marvin Harrison Jr. is easily far and away the best prospect in the draft. But Michael Hall should be getting top 20, top 25 love as well. The other guy I wanted to point out was another Big Ten guy, J.J. McCarthy. We've had some up-and-down QB play the past couple weeks. We've seen Caleb Williams kind of falter. Past two, past two weeks we see drake may lose a game to one and five virginia uh michael Penix has still performed pretty well we see bo nix kind of slide we see riley leonard injured i think jj mccarthy's top five qb in this class it'll be interesting to see if he goes back to michigan but other than drake may caleb williams and now michael Penix, i think that qb four spots up in the air and i think jj mccarthy can snag it if michigan continues to play well which they have so far I think Michigan's probably the best team in college football right now. So it'll be yeah, interesting there was to a lot of talk can...
1: this offseason about JJ McCarthy like really taking that next step, and a lot of like scouts were high on him. So it's it's really cool to kind of see him take that next step and be with guys that we're talking about, like in the breath with Caleb Williams, uh, Caleb Williams and Drake May, because like those guys are considered like one two in the draft. So if you're that high up in this class, you're probably a first round guy or close to a first round grade, which is pretty cool.
0: Absolutely. He had been buried behind Cade McNamara for a couple years. I know McNamara is now at Iowa. He's injured though, but um, it's cool to see McCarthy come into his own. I definitely think the Michigan offense is better for it. It'll be interesting to see how Michigan operates the rest of the season with these, with the allegations coming to light that they had one of their staffers go and film games from the sideline. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out. They're probably just going to scapegoat the guy, but. That's uh, some
1: Belichick type stuff right there.
0: Well, it's even further because they, this guy, uh, I believe it's, it's like Colton Stallion or something like that. He had gone to more than 30 games sitting behind the, behind the opponent's bench. He had bought like personal tickets for it wow. and he would film, he would film the signs on the phone. Now, if like, if you have really good eyes, like I have pretty good eyesight, but if you have like Eagle eyesight, even on broadcast, you can see the other team's calls, but you can't go to the game and film them. And there's evidence that he's been to more than 30 games of it uh, over the past couple of years, both Ohio state games, which they had won um, the Georgia game, or excuse me, the TCU game that they played in the college football playoff, just a bunch of stuff. I don't know how those allegations are going to play out. There's been a ton of uh, Michigan accusations, allegations, what have you. The past couple Yeah. This is the first Harbaugh. one. Yeah. This is yeah, surrounding like hard big like, uh, scandal. Um, so like, I'm pretty sure he's going to the NFL next year, but it's going to be interesting to see how Michigan operates moving forward. If they vacate wins or something like that, I think they're just going to scapegoat the guy and keep going. But to to me right now, Michigan's the best team in college football. But if this like kind of messes with their mindset or whatever, it will be interesting going forward.
1: Now there's one guy that you want to talk about before we kind of wrap up the episode. It was from the Utah USC game.
0: Yeah. Um, Sione Vika. And he's just a sophomore, so he's not in the draft class. But all of this hype goes around Travis Hunter, that he is an elite corner and a very good wide receiver. He plays 120 snaps per game, what have you. Um, Sione Vika for Utah is a Utah safety that also plays on both sides of the field. He He's, the safety, he's one of their starting safeties. And he also plays kind of the running back scat back receiver kind of role and he went off a little bit versus usc he was a big part of how the offense was able to move the ball down the field and how the defense was able to stymie caleb williams so good catch there that's a guy i wanted to talk about he's not a draft eligible guy but it's cool to see another two-way player actually thriving in today's college football
1: I think what's interesting is that if some of these like really, really talented prospects are able to play on both sides and they're able to kind of show the endurance aspect of that, that only raises their draft ceiling because then when you cut those snaps in about half, they're almost ready to go come game day. And they probably have a little bit of extra burst in the NFL. And I don't know how that's going to work. We're going to see Travis Hunter and then Siona Vika um when they make the transition in the nfl how well they play but it is very interesting to see more of these hybrid role type players that we haven't seen in probably several decades
0: absolutely it's only a plus for them they're, like obviously they won't play both ends in the nfl but if they're conditioned enough to play 100 snaps and play them well i know travis hunter plays like 130 uh i think what Dion's doing is travesty cut him down to 100 because he, nobody could play at 130 but if you're able to play 100 snaps well on both sides of the ball, you're right. That's only going to boost your draft stock when you come into the NFL, only having to play like 80 plays max if you're getting blown out.
1: Especially when you you have the type of explosion and playmaking ability that you have with some of these guys. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like an issue of like, you can obviously talk about like, well, if, if you spent more time playing wide receiver, you'd be a better route runner or whatnot. It's like, that's something that you can evolve. But if you have this kind of explosiveness and playmaking ability, like that's going to translate at the next level. And it's very cool to
0: see. Absolutely.
1: Now, we have we have a couple perfect takes before we sign off here. Uh, both of us were were off the charts uh, with our takes last week. Uh, but mine is that the Jaguars, on an extended week since they played on Thursday night last week, recreate the beatdown they gave the Steelers back in the 2017 divisional round in Pittsburgh for one of the games of the week. That game finished 45-42. Uh, The spread currently on FanDuel is negative two and a half. This isn't betting advice, but I think it is going to be like that at least three-point margin uh, that Jacksonville will cover. Um, I don't know if it's going to be 40-point burgers from both teams, but I could definitely seeing this be like a 31-28 type game where there's a lot of offense uh, and there's a lot of explosive plays because you got George Pickens on the, uh, the Steelers offense. Deontay Johnson is back. Uh, Their run game last week with Jalen Warren and Najee Harris kind of was turning out a little bit. And then what they have on that Jacksonville side in terms of wide receivers, the Steelers secondary is definitely vulnerable uh, between Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. And then Travis Etienne, what he's been doing on the ground and through the air. It's a lot of playmaking abilities. I think we're going to see a lot of explosive plays, a lot of touchdowns, and it's going to be fun to see.
0: Yeah, we need to put ET in on best performances one of these weeks. I believe he's had two rushing touchdowns in the last three games apiece. Uh, he's been on fire. Hopefully, uh, the Pittsburgh quarterback doesn't throw five interceptions like Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> did in that game. But uh, my take is that the the Bills and Josh Allen. We talked about him a little bit. They've been, they, granted, they're they've won over the past three weeks. They've won a couple of games, but they've been struggling. I have them riding the ship against the Buccaneers on Thursday night football this week. Now, we talked about interceptions, both Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. They'll throw you an interception, but I I think the Bills are still more talented as a whole. They are at home this week, and it is a short week. I think they'll be more prepared, and I think they'll get the win and be able to go into the next week with a little bit of extra rest uh, to kind of buy, or not buy, but um, offset the injuries that they have so far this season.
1: Absolutely. I think my issue is it in a short week could help the bills, but my issue with kind of what we saw on Sunday is that the Patriots were not an offense to write home about. And for them to kind of tear the bills up like this, it makes you wonder, okay, is Baker Mayfield with guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, are they going to be a little bit more competent? That would be my biggest hesitation, especially with Todd Bowles defense probably going to show up, um it is in buffalo so rowdy crowd you have the home field advantage on a short week i definitely think this lends itself towards buffalo side but i could see a sneaky sneaky upset in the
0: making buffalo all three of their all three of their losses excuse me have been away from orchard park um so i like them to win this game
1: absolutely so with that our perfect takes are in we've broken down kind of our feelings about the Panthers coming out of the bye, going against the Texans this coming week. Uh, We'll, we'll have more content next Tuesday per usual Uh, until then we'll catch you.